0: Good morning, it's Sunday, November 15th, 2020. Welcome once again to this online resource for at-home spiritual growth. We're continuing to meet outdoors as a congregation at Redeemer Lutheran Church, but also we're providing this resource for those who must still remain home as the pandemic continues to travel throughout our land. Uh, We continue to keep all those who are vulnerable in our prayers and in our thoughts, and as we all work together to do our best to get through this difficult time. Today we're going to look at one of the hallmarks of Christian faith, which is to show mercy. We do this because mercy is something that God himself shows it's part of his character. And so we're going to learn about that and see how that's going to fit into our Christian witness as people who are shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ and who therefore show mercy as a result. God bless you today as you learn and hear from Jesus in his word. I rejoiced with those who said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty! Blessed are those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Your word is a lamp for my feet, and a light on my path. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, you have given us your holy scriptures for our learning. May we so hear them, read, learn, and take them to heart, that being strengthened and comforted by your holy word, we may hold firmly to the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. In spite of hardship, Ruth is determined to remain with her family. The reading is from Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 to 19. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, so a man from Bethlehem and Judea, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malin and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. "'has turned against me.' "'At this they wept aloud again. "'Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. "'But Ruth clung to her. "'Look,' said Naomi, "'your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. "'Go back with her.' "'But Ruth replied, "'Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. "'Where you go, I will go, "'and where you stay, I will stay.' Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on, until they came to Bethlehem. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord Jesus reveals what it means to show mercy. The Holy Gospel today is from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, and this Gospel is the basis for today's sermon. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But the expert in the law wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Jesus asked. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. The parables of Jesus tend to all have at least one thing in common, and that's this, that each of them is scandalous in one way or another. Sometimes what Jesus says is scandalous. People would say, you can't say that. Sometimes where Jesus says it is scandalous, people would say, you can't say that here. And sometimes to whom Jesus says it, is scandalous, so that people would say, you can't say that to him, or to her, or to me, or to us. Now this is why there is a certain air of confusion and controversy that would often surround Jesus whenever he told parables. People got upset when they got the point, because it was scandalous, or others would miss the point entirely, because it was simply too scandalous for them to to comprehend. In fact, the Gospel of Matthew tells us how Jesus' own disciples kind of grilled him with the question, one time, what's with all these parables, Jesus? Do you remember his answer? Jesus said his stories fulfilled the prophecy that God would expose hard hearts and frustrate closed minds. The parables of Jesus actually embody the ancient promise of Psalm 78, when God said, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Which brings us to the parable of Jesus, maybe his most famous parable, the one recorded in Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now this parable is scandalous. The parable exposes hard hearts and frustrates closed minds, as parables do. And the parable reveals hidden truths of God. Here Jesus tells an expertly crafted story that demolishes deeply held cultural, religious, and ethical assumptions in order to show that in the world where Christ is Lord, which is the world we live in, love and mercy are at the heart of God and then in the habit of God's people. The story of the parable, of course, is is well known. You have surely heard it before. A man was on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was ambushed by robbers, beaten and left for dead in the ditch. Jesus tells of two Jewish men from the clerical class, a priest and a Levite, who saw the victim in the ditch but decided to pass by on the other side just to avoid the man. But finally, a third man, this one a Samaritan, saw the victim in the ditch and stepped in to help. He bandaged the man's wounds and brought him to an inn where he promised to pay whatever it took to get the man back on his feet again. But what is Jesus getting at by telling this story? I mean, it's not like people need a lesson on why it's right to help someone whose life is in danger. If you come to a car accident or someone else who's in trouble, you naturally help out. At the very least, you call 911. You find someone bloodied on the sidewalk, you you might stick around long enough to have the ambulance get there. No, it seems that Jesus has actually something more nuanced in mind. There's actually a critical cultural reality Jesus is touching on with this parable. And it's actually kind of hidden in the name we've given this parable. The parable of the Good Samaritan. You see, to our ears, because the word, the phrase Good Samaritan is so common, the word Samaritan sounds quite positive. But to the ears of Jewish people of Jesus' day, the word Samaritan was anything but good. Samaritan had a repugnant ring to it. And I won't go into all the details, but it's enough to say that several centuries of animosity had passed between the Jews and the Samaritans, so that by the time Jesus walked the streets of Palestine, Samaritans were the kind of people that Jews had come to love, to hate, and vice versa. Which is why this story from Jesus is so breathtakingly scandalous, scandalous like his other parables a Jewish religious expert had brought to Jesus the most fundamental question of their religious and cultural identity, what does it take to be on God's side? How am I a good Israelite? And to a Jew, that was the question of questions. And in this dialogue, Jesus prompted to, to the man to answer exactly as the law of God said, the most Jewish of answers, totally true, totally correct, love God, love neighbor. Those are the greatest commandments in all the scriptures, and in the story Jesus told to answer the religious expert's challenge, it was the Samaritan, shockingly, who undeniably kept the law of God and loved his neighbor, while the Jewish priest and the Levite did not. And with this parable, Jesus recapitulated. He he retold the message of the great prophets before him as well. Prophets like Isaiah and Zechariah. See, they had announced that the God of the Bible does not associate with people at the top of the ladder, but with those at the bottom. That's where he identifies himself. The religion God likes is the one that shows love and mercy to the lowly. And Jesus illustrates what the Lord God says. I stand with the widow. I stand with the orphan. I stand with the poor, the lonely, the homeless, the alien, the refugee, the opposed, the oppressed, the sick, the suffering, the broken. And the thing is, the priest and the Levite in the parable, they knew that. They had probably said it a million times as they taught it to others. They had followed all the rituals that were meant to drive that truth home. But when the proverbial rubber met the proverbial road and it was time to put their beliefs into actions, their true attitude was exposed. Racial, political, economic, And cultural prejudice took over, and their sad little feet scurried to the other side of the road. And Jesus made it perfectly and scandalously clear that anyone, anyone, even a priest, even a Levite, anyone who shows no concern for the broken and the downtrodden, is in fact out of step with God and his ways. Love and mercy are at the heart of God, and must also be in the habit of his people. Now, for us who confess that the Word of God remains living and active, there is the obvious question today. What does this parable have to say to us? Is it scandalous to us? Has the habit of love and mercy been the heading to our story or merely an occasional footnote? Is it possible that our own political, cultural, or religious assumptions have put us out of step with the love and mercy at the heart of God. Just consider, maybe, today, the the cultural and political side and how that can so easily shape us in a way that the Word of God is meant to instead. See, the American culture we live in tends to define us as highly individualistic, and the American political system tends to prize equal opportunity. These are pretty much common assumptions across the population. But we have to recognize as Christians that those two traits can sometimes conspire to actually distance us from the transcendent vision for love and mercy that God gives. And what do I mean by that? Well, Americans tend to agree that helping the needy is a morally good thing. But we tend to be adamant that it's our choice whether we want to help or not. So any talk of, of any kind of obligation or duty or necessity to help the needy as the moral character of a collective people, that starts to creep us out. We say, well, don't don't talk about obligation and duty to those who are needy. There's there's none of that. It's only my voluntary decision. Then you mix that with our hardcore individualism, and soon you've got an airtight reason why you should walk to the other side of the road, just like the priest and the Levite. And it would match every single assumption and cultural cultural idea we have. It would seem like the right, most correct thing to do. That needy person across in the ditch over there has no right to impose on you. No one else has any right to tell you you have a duty to help them or an obligation, and besides, it's probably his fault anyway. He should fix it, or he should never have gotten himself in that situation. It's pretty easy to think that way, isn't it? But Jesus' parable has something to say about that. We easily overlook it, but people uh, people would have noticed, People, uh, people would have Notice that Jesus took the time to tell us what road the man was actually on when he fell into the hands of robbers. It wasn't just on some road somewhere. Jesus says he was on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. And to his hearers, that's like Jesus saying he was leaving the holy city, the safe city, the moral city, and he was heading to Jericho, the profane city, the dangerous city, the sinful city. The man beaten and left for dead was, in a sense, in that mess because of his own actions. He was heading in the wrong direction anyway. He was heading to where the Samaritans go in the first place. This priest and the Levite may well have clucked on their way to the holy city. That's what you get. That's what you get for heading to Jericho. But the Samaritans showed love and mercy because love and mercy are at the heart of God and in the habit of his people. And consider what else this parable says about our principle of equal treatment, which is an excellent political principle. It's one that God himself made a part of the civil law of his Old Testament people. The justice that comes from equal treatment is absolutely something that Christians can and should support. But see, God reveals another characteristic of justice in the Bible. There's equal treatment, yes, but sometimes certain people need more than just equal treatment they actually need special concern they need special concern precisely because they have no resources or power to speak up for themselves they're just they're just crushed or forgotten of course you know as well as i do that any talk of special treatment for particular people usually leads to some kind of resentment in our culture but jesus parable is saying that the, the Christian faith is a different kind of culture than what we think of as our various ethical package deals that come from political platforms. He's saying we are from a different kingdom. This man beaten and left for dead in the parable was there because something evil fell on him, yes, and because he was heading in the wrong direction, yes. Samaria was actually sort of a a sanctuary for violators of the law of Israel, and so there's actually a pretty good chance we're supposed to understand this parable to mean that the man who was beaten and left for dead in the ditch was was maybe even on the run himself. Yet he received special concern because, in the eyes of God, sometimes the people who need our love and mercy the most— are not only the ones who have evil simply fall on them, but the ones who are rushing headlong into it. The Samaritan showed special concern, even to someone whose life was the proverbial hot mess, precisely because love and mercy are at the heart of God and in the habit of his people. We are meant to meditate on these things, to reveal truths of God hidden since the foundation of the world. Meditate on these parables where those truths are hidden. I mean, think about the implications of this parable over the coming weeks and months, and you'll come to realize that the love and mercy demonstrated by the Samaritan is actually countercultural, counterintuitive, even a little scandalous to most political and social sensibilities. It's scandalous, yes, but it is beautiful. And why? Because the Samaritan of this story is living in the light of a new kind of logic that leads to a new kind of life. He is tapping into a power that comes from the heart of God. God himself identified with the most vulnerable among us when he himself was born to a poor set of parents who couldn't even afford or find a place to stay, and so Jesus' first night of sleep was in a feeding trough. That's how his life began, and then at the end of his life he had but one possession, his robe, and they even took that away too. He was known as a man who never really had a place to lay his head, dependent always on the other on the others around him for his sustenance. He was crucified, naked, buried in a borrowed tomb. And on the cross, Jesus became a victim of injustice, even as he was fulfilling justice. He took the just penalty we deserve for our sinfulness, for our failure to show love and mercy, our failure to be living according to the heart of God. And he himself was singled out for a death he couldn't possibly have earned. He was as broken and downtrodden as they get. Yet all that, all that that God did was to show that a world as broken as ours, filled with people rushing headlong into destruction, that even we in this world, we are not outside of the love and mercy of God. We are the ones he has set apart for special concern. We are the vulnerable ones he restores by his power. And so when it comes to the ongoing habit of his people, there are few things as powerful as the sight of Christians setting aside their self-interest and showing special concern for the world around them. Tangible love and genuine mercy reveal that we are joyful recipients of the love and mercy at the heart of God. What we give is what we have received. Amen. Now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's now confess our Christian faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, Let us pray. Almighty God, Everlasting Father, you are worthy of being praised for all your gifts and graces which you have given to us, your unworthy people. Hear us this day as we cry to you for mercy toward all people as they have need. You have made us your people and preserved us through the ministry of your word and sacraments continue to pour out upon us grace upon grace that we may be kept in faith and guarded in hope. Make your church throughout the world one in doctrine, confession, and life, and give to your church faithful pastors who will preach and teach your word with conviction. Deliver us from confusion and error by the power of your Holy Spirit, and raise up those who will continue to serve in faithfulness and humility. Deliver all enemies of your church and convert their hearts to repentance and faith. Strengthen all Christians in their faith and in their vocation of service as your children, that we may be obedient to your word and receive the salvation of our souls. Deliver the nations from oppression and ungodly rulers and governments. Bless all in authority within our own nation, that righteousness and truth may flourish and injustice may end. Bless all those places where your people teach and learn that our children may honor you, walk in your commands, and show forth in their lives the fruits of the Spirit. Prevent all disaster and calamity, deliver us from war and violence, and spare us from pestilence and disease. Help us to know and rejoice in the good fruits of the earth. Bless all noble occupations and help the arts to flourish, that our lives may be enriched by beauty. Help us to receive with thanksgiving the fruits of the earth you supply for our common good. Receive with our song of praise and sacrifice of thanksgiving the tithes and offerings we bring to you, that through good use of the skills, talents, and time you have given us you may be glorified in all we are and all we do. Give unity to your people that we may not be divided in doctrine or witness, and grant us grace that we may come to the Lord's table and receive there the body and blood of our Lord Jesus in sincere repentance and faith. Give to the sick healing, to the suffering relief, to the grieving hope, and to the dying peace. Hear us especially on behalf of all those who continue to suffer in this pandemic. Sustain us in this day of trial deliver us from all enemies of our body and soul and keep us steadfast in the day of trouble remembering that here we have no abiding city but heaven is our home give us your aid so that we may be true that we may that we may by true and faith faithful and godly life prepare for the coming of our savior doing the works you have called us to do and to accomplish your purpose in our daily lives help us to multiply your mercy by loving our neighbor in need, and loving you with all our body, soul, strength, and will. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord's Prayer Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us. Amen.